Welcome to the Puppet Research Group. With so much puppetry produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the cracks and don't get the fair hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show its chance, watch the first few episodes, and discuss what we thought of it. And this week for you, we have the Taiwanese-Japanese clusterfuck that is Genurubochi's Thunderbolt Fantasy. As you may have dis- as you may have realized, this show is not an anime. This is this is a puppet show. So those of you who find puppetry offensive might want to stop listening now. We apologize for all the Chinese slash Taiwanese names we are going to butcher today. The show ran from July 8th, 2016 until September 30th, 2016 for a total of 13 episodes. It was made as a collaboration between the Japanese companies Nitro Plus and Goodsmile and the Taiwanese puppet company uh, Pili International and Multimedia. It was written and structured by Nitro Plus. Uh, the animation and the puppetry was done by Pili. And Good Smile was mostly there as an aesthetic advisor because the puppet designs had to be adjusted uh, to please more and play more to Japanese aesthetics because they usually they look a bit differently. The show received a second season in 2018 with a third currently being in development. It also has four movies. Or also that. Um, I mean, it's a fairly unique show because Japan doesn't make that many puppet shows that I'm aware of. And the whole world, the whole world doesn't make enough puppet shows. How many Indeed. puppet shows have you seen in the West this year? I think the last big puppet thing was probably Team America World Police. No, no, no. There's been Muppet movies since then. I don't really, yeah. I'm not sure I count Muppets as puppets. In the same in the same genre, this definitely reminds me more of Thundergirds Up Go or Cap Scarlet or Stingray. Okay, then sure. A lot of those. Um... But those are those are all puppets. Yes, yes. And no puppet, no puppet discrimination here on this podcast. The show was, as Ian has said, created and written by Genaro Bocci, who's known for a lot of things, but probably best known for uh, Madoka. Or a yeah. psychopath, amongst other things. And we'll talk about him in a bit, but there's a lot we can say about him. The music was uh, done by Hiroyuki Sawano, Sawano, who's one of the industry's more recognizable composers for scores such as Attack on Titan, Gundam Unicorn, or more recently, Premiere, which had a fantastic score. Even though he didn't make the movie's best song, he still did some pretty good pieces. And Kill the Kill. And Kill the Kill as well, yes. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think Freya can tell us more about how the show actually came to be because it is a more interesting story than just it was proposed as a boardroom meeting or adapted as a adapted from an existing material. Yeah, so back in the the mists of 2014, which is so long ago now, our friend Urubuchi came across um, uh, these the puppets of of Pili International Multimedia at a Taiwanese comic, uh, Taiwanese convention, because uh, he was invited as a special guest or whatever. Um, and he was very enamored with it. So much so that he took some uh, some of the puppets home to like show off to his, his friends um, and really wanted to write a story for it uh, now. Because Urobuchi is famous in uh, Japan and a little famous in the general area of uh, East Asia, um, Philly found out about this 
And because a bunch of them like Urobuchi for whatever reason, uh, they they got in contact with him and they planned a show together that was uh, supposed to introduce um, introduce more people to the puppetry of of Peely. I mean, the last contact I had with puppet shows was when I was young, and it was just basic puppet theater with the strings, where they didn't really bother to hide the hands occasionally. But this is just incredibly impressive. Yeah, I watched a lot of uh, of Thunderbirds and uh, Captain Scarlet and Stingray when I was a kid. So uh, mm-hmm. when I watched this back in 2016, I was like, <laughs> I, I was very excited. <laughs> Uh, I mean, what you really want to say there is um, that all the fucking Super Mario Nation people were fucking scrubs. <laughs> yes, they certainly were. Even though they were working with a very different time and level of uh, technology. Mm. Um, so maybe it's a bit unfair <laughs> on being <laughs> all the scrubs. It's okay. It's, it's okay, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson. We respect you, <laughs> we respect I you. guess. Should we talk about Ginorobuchi? Yeah, absolutely. Probably the anime writer with the most uh, recognition in the West, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Because basically none of them have any recognition, so he has, <laughs> yeah, some, he has some, therefore he wins by default. Fair enough. He and Mario Carter and weird nerds like me and Ian who like Chiaki Jekinaka. Um, we mentioned him again. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I first... Uh, my first encounter with the works of Gen Urobuchi was with the <laughs> visual novel Sayana Uta, noted, noted for its Lovecraftian themes. <laughs> now, uh, I played Sayana Uta in 2012, I think, and I remember really liking it at the time. I'm not sure if I'll, I'd like it again if I revisited it, but uh, yeah. I remember it like getting into the main character's headspace really well, and that the music was really good. But that's got nothing to do with the Ginner but uh, it was it was it was a good uh, modern Lovecraftian story, I guess. Though I suspect if I revisited it, I would not like it as much. Um, but his fame really got kickstarted. In the West, at least, I suppose, with Madoka, which is a well, Ian and I like it anyway, and it was very popular back in 2011. And when Denny watches it, he will he will inevitably like it, or stone him oh, to yeah. death, or he won't. <laughs> I don't know. I have actually seen, on my, for my part, seen a surprising amount of Urobuchi's work because I've seen. Fate Zero, uh, Suse no Gargantua, the Godzilla movies, uh, Phantom, uh, Phantom Requiem for a Phantom, season one and two of Psychopaths. So that's six shows I've seen of his. And besides the first season of Psychopaths, most of the other stuff has been mixed. Gargantua had a really nice start, but then it devolved very badly. And I've heard that's a recurring thing with with her, with Urobuchi as a writer, that he starts very strongly or has very interesting ideas, but fails to tie them up uh, in interesting conclusions as well. I'm not uh, the biggest fan of Psychopath, which makes me a minority, I think. Mm. I think me and Ian really enjoyed season one of it. 
Season one, big fan. Season two. Well, uh, he didn't. He didn't have any involvement in season two, other than the basic concept. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was solid. Well, season two. No, no uh, season, season <laughs> one. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, the uh, Madoka is actually the only anime he's written that I like because uh, I don't count unless you count this show as anime. Um, Where do you stand on Kamen Rider Gaiam? I haven't seen it. I want to watch it, but I haven't seen it. And of course, we're forgetting to mention the very important thing that uh, Chaos Dragon, the show, was based on a... Uh, based on a uh, an RPG game that he did with uh, <laughs> with four other anime writers, including Nazu, the creator of Fate. God damn it! Just if I ever run a D and D game, I'm definitely I'm de- I'm definitely never inviting Nazu. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back to Fate, no matter how far we go. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, he did work on Fate Zero, so we did, we didn't even need to go through that together. Yeah. But yes, Fate hovers over modern anime like the disgusting disgusting moon the type <laughs> moon if you will <laughs> alright that was uh, terrible let's move on yeah <laughs> so yeah I have uh, mixed feelings on Ginner but I think we uh, all do but having seen all of this show spoilers so I broke the rule I would say that because this, the story of this show is very, uh, the like basic uh, structure of this show is very simple, um, it actually works out quite well in the end. Having said that, I forgot that episodes two and three weren't as exciting as uh, the rest of it. So yeah, let's let's talk. Let's start with uh, episode one, uh, titled mm-hmm. "Code of Umbrellas." Uh, that should go down in the annals as good as of best episode titles. <laughs> it's it's a it's a pretty interesting title, um, but yeah. So like, what we sort of get in this episode is um, two characters, uh, Dan Fei and Dan Heng, or Vermilion Kingfisher and Vermilion Balance. Yes, uh, and they're being pursued, but and they're being pursued by the evil evil. Putty Patrol people. <laughs> um, and their leader kills the brother. Haha, and steals the sword hilt, I guess. And we get lots of puppets exploding. Uh, much more puppet gore than I was expecting, but the, the, the episode does start a bit confusingly because we're just thrown in the middle of the action, and if you're not used to, uh, the subs were a bit confusing because the names, because we have the Japanese voices, but the Chinese uh, names in the subtitles, so it's not easy to immediately associate characters with names. But the action carries the scene fairly well. It's it's just immediately the puppetry is impressive from from the mo- from from the start. Yeah, I also like that we're just thrown into a uh, an action scene with no real exposition. We like in media res. Yeah, to us in particular, I like the villain's goofy ass. I've got to announce my presence uh, with a booming voice and then come floating down from the clouds. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess one thing we d- I'm not sure how clear we made is, is this is a Wuxia-inspired show. Lots of martial arts fighting, lots of villains floating from the skies. And uh, much to my chagrin, a lot of people standing around talking about the deep reasons why they're fighting. 
having read a lot of Wuxia, that is very accurate. People do just stand around and talk a lot about which clan, which group, which organization or school they belong to, <laughs> and what they what they've learned and what their powers are. But the the sister is being chased um, uh, after the fight, and then we have to get the the swordsman at uh, Shofu uh, is going to come and rescue her, prompted by a weirdo with a. <laughs> <laughs> yes the, be- the best character telling him that it would just be like a good thing to do to pay off his karmic debt for stealing the umbrella from the buddha to pay, to pay off his karmic debt for stealing a buddha from uh, <laughs> stealing a buddha from the umbrella <laughs> stealing an umbrella from the buddha I mean I had to resist at multiple points during the episode because it just I just felt like shouting out a wizard did it because he just looks like a wizard. Uh, but he didn't do anything, I know, but it just felt like I needed to say that at that's, some point. That's exactly what happens with wizards. Wizards don't do shit. Have you ever seen The Lord of the Rings? I mean, he did lots of stuff. He forced the main character into the story by tricking him. And being an asshole. So Shofu does some fighting, saves the girl. Hits somebody in the face with an umbrella. And the episode ends with him causing a guy to sever his own head off? <laughs> Yes. This was the moment that sold me on this show back in 2016. Yeah, it had the, um, like, I, I watch a lot of the really crap, like, Japanese B-movie ultra-violent stuff, and that yes. was straight out of there. The head yeah. comes off, and then you got a fountain of blood coming up. Uh, it's delicious. Mm. Uh, I don't really know why the guy's head needed to self-decapitate. Because he, he was ashamed, and he wanted to send the guy, yes. <laughs> He wanted to be more manly, as the villain said. Yeah, and as he leaves, he like throws away his bird to like send a message to his boss. The message being his head. <laughs> the message being his head. He needed to get his head out of there because then the, he knew his boss had some weird magic where he can essentially do what they do in Wild Wild West, where they look at the final moments that are burnt into somebody's retinas, except the villain just uses magic to relive the the guy's last moments. So not not very much like Wild Wild West. I swear, I swear to God, Denny really just wants to reference Wild Wild West at every possible <laughs> <sighs> So we got a lot of action and a little bit of like, uh, a bit of a bit of backstory, a bit of chatting between um, Shobu um, and uh, Rin Setsue. Rin Setsua. Rin Setsua. The totally not a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a wizard. No, he's not. But in like, the sense that everyone in the show is a wizard, because they all use magic, they're assholes. Yeah, I mean, he has as much magic as any other Wuxia character. It's just yeah. that, like he's the one who looks like a wizard. I think this show, uh, this show, this episode does a good job of establishing uh, both of their personalities. Has been said, so is mysterious, but also a huge jerk. Um, <laughs> it's like constantly. One unusual character combination. Basically, (laughs) is like egging the main character, negging the main character into being the main character in the show. And uh, and Shofu Khan is like, I'm so done. I don't want to get involved in any of this shit. But he's he's still like compassionate. I think some of the chemistry comes from the fact that uh, Junichi Suwabe, uh, who plays Shofu, and um, Kosuke Toriyumi, who does uh, Rinsetsuwa, uh, have worked together quite a lot. Um, 
just just some roles that they that they've done. Uh, Suwabe is Victor in Yuri on Ice, Archer in Fate Stay Night, uh, Aomine in Kuroko, Shota in My Hero Academia. Whereas like uh, Toriyumi is, I guess like uh, Shinsuke Maizumi in Yowamushi Pedal. Uh, he's Yuri Lowell from the Tales of Vesperia anime. <laughs> uh, he's uh, Kiyosumi Sengoku in uh, Prince of Ten. They're also both members of the gang stars in JoJo Part 5. <laughs> yes, uh, I was saving that for now. It's just like, yeah, I, I, there's quite a lot of people in this show from JoJo Part 5 because um, Tomokazu Seki was also in JoJo Part 5 and we'll see him uh, in a minute. He's, he's doing a very good over-the-top Power Rangers villain voice. <laughs> and the thing that had me laughing earlier was when I realized that not only are they in the same this same unit of the Starmen, but they're also in a group called Pharaoh Men. It's just, it's just <laughs> the two of them. <laughs> uh, and, Holy shit. And, and that was delicious. I think as far as first episodes goes, this was, if this hadn't been a puppet show, I don't know if I would have watched this because the story itself, at least so far, is nothing really all that special. It's no, really the puppetry that, that, that carries that. Yeah. Carries it. I like the character writing because, but only because it's like written to the genre's like uh, standards, like really strictly. And it's very sincere <laughs> because if, uh, if it wasn't done like that, it wouldn't work. I don't think. I will say, though, no spoilers. This show has some very weird plot twists later on. Not weird, but uh, it has some uh, good, silly, fun plot twists later. Okay, like, so, uh, calling it right now, like, the the main villain and the main character are brothers. Just calling that right now. Well, that's not correct. No, but, no, probably not. The wizard and the main villain used to be best friends, or went to school together. No. We're, we're not playing guess the twist. Yeah, please please don't. That's the least interesting way to talk about shows. So yeah, let's moving on to episode two. Um we get a bit of an explanation about how Faye has this cross guard of the sword. Uh and she needs it to get the other part of the sword. Uh the villain needs to get her bit of the sword in order to yes. get the actual sword out of the uh, stone it's stuck in. So sorry, I misunderstood. I was thinking that she had to get it, but no, she's pretending the villain's from getting it. Gotcha. Which is why it's great that she's about to walk into the villain's lair. Yeah, they're going to go get it back. Yeah. I mean, we start to see in a set with a lot of exposition. We we follow our main character who's like, nope, nope, fuck this shit. I'm out. I'm leaving. I don't want to get involved in this. You but two villain, go off on your adventure. The villains have put a price on his head or I've something. Got to re- I've got to recall, refuse the call to action because <laughs> we've all read Joseph Campbell at this point. He ends up in a village, but everybody's kind of really freaked out, which looks really funny when you try to make puppets look freaked out. <laughs> they essentially just throw, they throw their arms up in the air and then they kind of fall down. Especially because the particular puppets in this show basically have very no expression in their faces. They can open their mouth like they can open their mouth and they can close their eyes and that's it. They can't like furrow their brows or like even lip sync really. We know they have multiple versions of the puppet, and yes. they would have to, given how many of them they've destroyed already. Uh, but do they have different ones with different facial expressions? Because that was not something that I noticed. No, they yeah, all I, have the same. 
Okay. Uh, so all of the like uh, expressiveness, uh, expressiveness of the character has to come well from partly from the voice acting um, and partly from all of the wonderful gesticulations and body <laughs> language that they that they have. Yeah, it's one of those things where, uh, and we can t- we'll talk more about this later. But uh, you really need to borrow from like stage acting rather than television slash movie acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> which is not something that ever occurred to me about puppetry before. Well, one thing that I found interesting, uh, speaking of uh, the facial expression you mentioned, I don't know a lot about puppetry, but it feels like it shouldn't be that hard to make swappable faces like they do for a lot of figures that are made today. It's just it's it's just the style. They don't they don't all want. Right, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely can make puppets with like removable pieces. They do make an alternate face in the second season, but that's it. One face per season. Yeah. Yeah. And so after he gets to the town, like he gets warned that there's going to be an ambush down the road. And then there's an ambush down the road. <laughs> uh, and this is where we get introduced to Kanyun. Yes, Ken Sanun. So, yeah, Ken Sanun. Or as he calls himself... Very confusingly, in the subtitles, they decide to intermix the uh, the Taiwanese uh, readings of the, or Chinese readings of their names with uh, with the English translations. Sometimes so we get to I'm Ken Sanun, the Frozen Wonder. He's Spear Bro. That's who he is. My least favorite person. Who's the Hey, everybody, look at me! I'm so cool! I'm here to save the day, kind of character. But yeah, the, uh, this guy uh, who played around in our chat by like posting an image of Gipal from Final Fantasy X to who Kenichi Suzumura plays, but he's probably more famous for uh, being Murasaki Bara in Kuroko or uh, Mikoshiba in Free. And we also meet his friend, um, Archer Man. Yeah, I don't really, I didn't really have much to say about him. He's typical. I'm good at archery, but only have one eye guy. <laughs> He's the like, oh, I'm going to get this done with no complaining, gruff type. And yeah. Oh, damn you, protege, you're so stupid. <laughs> I mean, do we want to call him the Goemon? <laughs> uh, uh, no, he's more, he's more like Jigen, but with less personality. <laughs> shout it to Jigen. Yeah. So episode two ends with the Impaler just kind of sniping dudes who have surrounded our protagonists. And then they they all rush up to him to fight him, and then he like shoots some arrows in the air, and then knocks them into the path of the arrows because he's a fucking jerk. And the only reason he doesn't kill all of them is because he thought they were stronger than they were, so yes. one of them falls, gets thrown back further than where he'd aimed the arrow at. And then we end the episode on a big cliffhanger where he shoots an arrow at our main character. Oh no! But he's actually just shooting the guy hiding behind the rock. Spoilers for episode three. <laughs> yeah, they they do this a lot, and they just end the show. It's it's really weird. Episodes two, I checked because I, I watched like the next five after this, and uh, I, most of them don't end with cliffhangers. Like I think it's one of those things you do very early on in a series where you're trying to yes. keep people hyped, and it's mm. just like, oh, who's he shooting this today? And I was like, ah, oh, it's fine. He's a good guy all along. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't work. These cliffhangers are crap. Yes. They were they were hilarious. <laughs> but I'm not a fan of cliffhangers in general. Episode two was definitely weaker than episode one, if yes. just be- because of the five minutes of exposition that we have at the beginning, which was definitely made harder to follow by what we had to uh, 
by yeah. the, the way it was subtitled and definitely, stuff. Even, even without that, it wasn't that interesting. I mean, I enjoyed it just because it had uh, Rin Setsuo goading the protagonist again, which I don't know, I just really <laughs> enjoy that shit. You just know that there's just like a million doujinshi about them too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so ending the... So moving on from the cliffhanger, episode three, The Women in the Night Devil Forest, uh, <laughs> starts, funnily enough, with... The sharpshooter shooting someone who is not our protagonist. Shunun Sho and Ken Sanun are allies. They're buddies, and they've been summoned to join Shobu by Rin Satsua. And they've got to go to the Seven Sins Tower in the Demon Spine Mountains, <laughs> uh, where our, our our main villain lives in his Power Rangers hangout. The theme seems to be the. Um, Betsu Ten guy, the skeleton who scorns heavens and <laughs> I love that name so much. Is well, spoilers based on that name, a necroma a necromancer. He's trying to fuck with the Dan family. Uh and I mean he's actually just collecting sword, uh famous swords. Yeah, and get get their magic sword and he's gonna be like our um our, our main villain. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if this is apparent in the episode that we've seen, but they they went there to recruit this other uh, woman, Kagai, who is also a necromancer uh, mm-hmm. in these mountains. Uh, so we're definitely on the collect your party part of the series. <laughs> yes, but we also have after the beginning of the episode where uh, the protagonist is more like keeps on being like, "No, I'm out. I'm just gonna head to the villain's lair by myself." Everybody else is kind of like, well, we're also heading there, so... And he does the usual, do whatever you want line. And, I mean, all we all we get in the rest of this episode is, well, they all go to, they all go to the, to the, the, uh, the forest. And then this, this lady thinks that they're trespassing. And you can't just go barging into a necromancer's forest. There's etiquette here. So mm. she attacks them with zombies. And then Spear Bro and, uh, Tanhe... Kill the zombies, Tanhee using her Toho powers. <laughs> Interesting voice act note, both uh, Tanhee and Kei-Gai, who are Mai Nakahara and Sayaka Ohara, respectively. They were both in Clan there. No, they're not. <laughs> they're, they were both in Aria. Okay, thank you. Uh, because Sayaka is Alicia Senpai, uh, yes. whereas uh, Mai Nakahara, she's only really in the Avenire because she's Azusa McLaren, but yes, uh, she is most famous for being a Nagisa in... Her uh, performance for Ten, he is interesting because she's speaking, well, very uh, archaically. Yes, uh, this was one thing, I, I, like, I, I was... I was just like listening in for a part of it, and it was just—it was very noticeable to me the um, the level of formality in her language. She always like refers to her brother very respectively as Annie Ue. Also, like her—it's not just like the word choice she used. I found that she had like uh, like a very formal like diction. Yeah, where Shovakam sounded sounds like he just got out of a bar and uh, <laughs> yeah, or something. Uh, oftentimes, like when you listen to a lot of anime, you're used to like, certain syllables and stuff being um, elided. Uh, because that's how people well, that's closer to how people actually talk but like she's very careful to like speak very properly uh, throughout which makes her like the uh, like she's just the one who's got got the proper upbringing usually this is where I would say she's the OJ Sama but uh, (laughs) given um, how K-Guy had the OJ Sama laugh uh, we have to give it to her (laughs) (laughs) one thing you kind of skipped in episode 3 is after they all uh, 
essentially start heading out. They have a they get to another town. They go to an inn and they have a really long meeting about essentially here's the castle of the demon lord and here are obstacles one, two, and three. And here's the people who will solve them. Yeah, exactly. It's a very very RPG kind of setting. It's like oh well, we have we have the solution for obstacles two and three, but we need the necromancer to get past obstacle one so we know our next course of action. Oh, those obstacles. <laughs> and uh, then we also have a scene in the night where Sword Guy and Main Girl, they have a little bit of a chat where he's like, you know, if you have this all-powerful swords weapon, you really should have used it instead of letting your brother and most of your family get slaughtered. And she's like, but that's not, uh, that's like anathema to our traditions. And he's like, well, there you go. Your traditions aren't worth anything. Yep. <laughs> and then in my favorite scene in all three episodes, after she leaves, he's he tries to just jump out the window and run away. Well, no, he jumps out. Of, it looks like that's what he's doing, but he's actually going out to catch Spear, bro. Oh, is who's, that? Who's, I, I just, who, yes, who's being a weird peeper. Oh, I, I just assumed he was just running away because that would. No, no. Because that was the kind of character he seemed to be. All right, so we've like sort of covered like what's uh, going, on, going on in this show. Let's talk about some puppetry. Yeah. <laughs> Puppets, man. Uh, like, given that it's a puppet show, obviously the thing that you kind of need to pay a very close sort of attention to is. Uh, how the puppets move because how they move is how they convey a lot of action. You see they're all the movements are got to be very exaggerated. This is why I was saying when it's like they're clearly bar you have to borrow more from stage theater. You can't turn around without moving all of your uh, without moving your swinging your arms first. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, when 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 you're face palming it's not just a hand, your whole body is face palming. <laughs> yes. Um it's never like a slight tilt to the side. It's always I have to turn entirely away from you. And whenever you point at someone, you can't just point at them. You have to like do a little like twirl uh, with your your wrist first and then point at them. For if you're going to watch it for no other reason, just watch it for that because it's yes. just it's just fun to see. I mean, that's why see. that's why I stuck with it and it turned out to actually be a pretty fun story too. Because, like, I feel like when it comes to animation, I've we've gotten really picky, and we're starting to notice all these sort of quibbles in like small movements. Mm. Uh, like, I think I've complained uh, very recently about how the eyes, in particular, like the sort of like the wrinkling in between eyes, re giving people like really like facial expressions that don't can piss me off. We're still giving you shade, Stelvia. Two weeks later, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you and you kind of just need to sort of like ignore that because the faces do, don't really move. The eyes move a little bit, mostly yeah. like eyelids out closing and opening, and the mouths mm -hmm. move a teeny tiny bit. That, that's really that's it's just really impressive to watch because, as Freya said, they grew they watched a lot of these things as a kid, but I I never did. So I'm really not used to puppetry shows like these. I mm. think the most I've ever seen is occasional random clips of Thunderbirds and bits of Team America World Police. But seeing a full show made in this style is just... This is pretty different to like Thunderbirds or, um, or Captain Scarlet or Team America, whatever that film's called. Um, beyond just the actual puppetry itself, I also feel like a lot of the other work, such as the detailing, was <laughs> very impressive regarding the... Uh, the backgrounds and yes. the scenes. A lot of the scenes that were set outside that looked like a diorama, but they it was built so well that the puppets yeah. always seemed to be the appropriate height, when uh, which is very important in these kinds of shows because you don't want your puppets to seem too small to what's going yeah. on. And they did an excellent job of that in the show. Yeah, the um, fact that they're using like real set mean that 
a lot of the things that we're accustomed to having, like the computer generated, like particle effects for smoke and stuff, it's just real smoke and stuff. And mm-hmm. although there, we should say there is a lot of CG in this show. Yes. Um, all of the magic and stuff. We, we've talked a lot about like the set dressing, and like this is another thing we often like take for granted in animation is like what we have with this puppet. No, with this puppetry show is more like what you would see in like a sitcom, right? There's set angles to how the thing is yeah. laid out, and uh, we've got more of this sort of like tr- this sort of cinematic technique as well. Like the we're we're not quite at the three camera setup for sitcoms, <laughs> but there 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 aren't that many like. The camera movement, the cameras are very steady for the, a lot of the film. We do get pans and zooms and so on. <laughs> There's a lot of very quick zooms. <laughs> yes, and that actually brings me to the point to The point that really annoyed me about the show was the editing and the cutting. For most of the show, it's actually fine, but when you get to the fight scene, they just have an incredibly rapid pace of uh, cutting from shot yeah. to shot. It's like one to a maximum of two seconds between each shot. They're still very steady and you could tell what's going on, but it's too quick for anything to really sink in. It doesn't really cut on a specific beat or rhythm. It's just shot, 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 shot. And it just gives this, it gives the cutscenes this really sped up feeling that which gets across a certain amount of strength and energy and motion. But on the other hand, it's really difficult to follow at times. Uh, so I really personally dislike that. They do chill out a bit with it later while mm-hmm. keeping the like energy. Yeah. So you're using the word like energy specifically, but um, I think the intent is supposed to replicate the feeling of the live action uh like chinese martial arts films yeah. that we've seen uh to what extent do you think that they pull that off i mean i haven't actually seen any taiwanese uh martial arts films and most of the stuff i've seen is hong kong stuff and so and and those tend to have more like want yeah a lot because because I'm, I'm once again thinking to that one video we always bring up by uh, every frame of painting about jackie chan at the staging of a fight scene how in uh, modern American cinema and Western cinema, we're used to cutting on every single punch and beat to mm-hmm. um, to simulate impact. Whereas in um, whereas in Hong Kong action movies, you don't cut away. You see the punch. You see the impact of the punch, sometimes even multiple times to strengthen its impact. And mm-hmm. here, it felt like the worst of both worlds, honestly, because they didn't really cut on punches. They're just rapid, quick cuts between yes. motions. There are some shots that are a normal length, which is like after somebody's done a uh, a silly special move or whatever, mm-hmm. like Shofukan rushing past the guy and hitting his sword so it breaks, and also <laughs> hitting him and then sheathing his sword so that his shoulder explodes or whatever which is very silly but classic anime and that was like a nice that was that was a nice uh bit of editing uh, that mm. scene but other than i do agree with you other than that that the fight scenes don't really work that well at least in these episodes the fights do lend to one of the uses of cg that we see quite a lot of which is they're trying to mangify the fight scene a little bit like um the Sort of like they blur it and they add sort of sort of speed lines and flashes of light, yeah, and so on that follow the arc of the movement of the blade and 
Mm. Like when the blades hit, they have to have the sparking and stuff yeah. like that, which was fun. I, I enjoyed yes. like the inclusion of that. It's difficult to say how well it worked for for it. I think it looks better later on in the show. I think they were having some teething problems. Yeah, right now we're, we're like at this stage in the show, the visual effects are really on point. Mm. Uh, Certainly for the magic and um, uh, some of the practical, like, dust and smoke effects are really good. Yes, I think, Ian, you pointed out the rain uh, effects in episode one when we were watching it. Yeah, like, we we know that these are large puppets. Um, Uh, They can be, they're about three kilograms in weight, and their height could range from 74 centimeters to uh, 80 centimeters but it more often than not it couldn't uh, it can go above 90 centimeters so it's yeah surprisingly large and i would de- i could definitely yeah we're talking small child here <laughs> like a like a two-year-old <laughs> uh wow that's really creepy when you think about it <laughs> um and like you really believe that when you see the detail in the uh, characters and the characters yeah uh, but like as you said, one of the important things they getting right was scale. And with water, it would be very easy for that to like end up out of scale just by using like it's weird to say regularly sized water <laughs> But like if you use like the rain droplets that I would look coming going out of my window, like they're Way of a big. certain size, but they definitely I, I don't know if they like threw water through a strainer or something because the water was they, like I think they used a like a sprinkler with fairly small holes or something. Yeah, and also it's just so nice to have a real water. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because I'm so used to complaining about, like, PG <laughs> water, CG not because water. it's not good, but because it's sort of too good that it mostly doesn't fit in with things. Also, yeah, the lighting like, was yeah incredible at times. Yeah, um, like, as I was saying, like, there was... Uh, because of these angles, they had a danger of going for sitcom lighting where everything is just flat. Mm. But they managed to sort of avoid that, I think. Mm. Although... In terms of like keeping things in focus, it does tend to be, it's it's not it's more it's definitely more TV than. It's mm. also interesting the angles they have because of the the way these uh, puppets have to be moved, the angles they have to use. They yeah. either have to be like full body, but the feet are obscured if they're just like standing around and talking <laughs> to each other, or they have to be from the like mid thigh up if they're like doing a close up of them talking, so that they can have all the. All arm gesticulations. All they have to do is shot of just the like feet and lower legs, so that they yeah, can the, do that. Yeah, yeah. We noticed this with Rin Satsume, right? That when he's sitting down smoking, <laughs> like his feet are clearly like in a certain position, but like it's they need to have the big fluffy costume so that you can have yeah. like a place to hide the hands. <laughs> oh man, the costumes! Yeah, I was going to talk about those, but because they they look, I think in my mind, like uh, somebody got into like a make your own jewelry kit and just paste glued a, a shit ton of stuff on there because because there is so much little detail on everybody's stuff. Yeah, like great. Rin Setsu has like three little red things hanging on his forehead. The main villain has a shit ton of has a whole bunch Tiny of skulls. skulls on his. Yeah, uh, the only one that looks kind of normally dressed is our main character, Sword Guy. His. His is fairly <laughs> subdued, but everybody his, else is... His outfit would be, like, one of the more extreme ones in a different show, right? Yes, and here it's here it's incredibly subtle. It's just some uh, clothing, pelts, and maybe a belt or two. It's funny, because I, I normally hate things that are over-designed, but I think this, because it's, like, Wuchir and because they're, they're, they're this style of puppetry, it, it really works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we should say the negatives of the, puppet, the, of the puppetry. 
sometimes we see the puppets walking. <laughs> yes, and, and that does not work. Well, because it either has to be they're like bobbing along, but you can't really see their legs, so they just sort of bob along yeah. the screen in the distance. Or they do a shot of just their feet, and those shots never really work. Oh. Oh. Like I feel, I feel that it's one of those things that I, I mean. I hate to like call puppeteers out because it's not a skill I have, but it's like. It's like, I mean, it's drawing feet for like manga artists, right? It's something that they don't think very much about. And so when they have to really focus on it, it looks really bad. Mm. Yeah, I guess the only other sort of big puppetry oof, other than the fights and the walking is like, uh, I think Danny pointed out is that sometimes because they're puppets, their movements don't have the weight that we expect. Which I, I don't mind that. To be honest, like you're watching a puppet show, you're not expecting them to like have have the weight that you would expect. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if uh, Shofu punched Rin Setsu, like I can just imagine sort of like his like, <laughs> like wobbling a bit. Of yeah, yeah. His his fist with the probably isn't even the fist. It's probably the finger pointing thing. Just sort of like glances off his face uh, and having like zero impact at all whereas if this was a fighting game you'd like break the arm so that it extends right into their face and then the face would deform and it would look amazing another thing that i actually really enjoyed was and i was not expecting that was the amount of gore and blood that ian <laughs> so rightfully compared to his ultra violent japanese movies like when I th- when I heard puppet show, I thought puppets. All right, they'll fight each other, they'll punch each other, they'll get knocked. Pew back. pew pew pew. No, they're going to explode and cut their own heads off and bleed bleed all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, the, the the first time you saw a puppet explode, like <laughs> that was a good moment. It's what it's something I didn't know I needed in my life until it happened. <laughs> but yeah, but that that does explain how why so many individual puppets of each figure were made. Where if they have to blow them up, and you can't, you can you can hardly use them in the next scene. I do, I do wonder how many uh, like uh, villain mook puppets they made because <laughs> so many of those guys get destroyed. I imagine that the advantage there is like it's probably worth the number of costumes you have to make because like you yeah, could yeah. probably just use any spare puppy of around because they're masks and all wearing the same sort of uniform. The faces are like sculpted specifically. Mm-hmm. They're they're made of wood, incidentally. The mm-hmm. like human bits of the puppet. In terms of like uh music and we already talked a little bit about Sawano, but is there any sort of sound design elements you uh, think are notable or uh there were one or two moments in the show where i did feel like the sound effects didn't quite sound right i, I remember there was one moment where spear bro did something with spear and the impact sound of that sounded quite wrong to me at least it sounded a bit hollow which was a bit odd but that was really the only thing i noticed oh yeah not- the sound effects are a bit over the top uh they they are functional for the show i guess but that's about it the music itself, as Freya has already said, I think works fairly well for the show. I do wish, I do wish that they weren't obligated to play that one song uh, once <laughs> an episode. Need to get your money's worth, Freya. I mean, they're not literally obligated. It just feels like they are. I mean, that's kind of like how Gundam used to be obligated to have a fight scene in an episode in order to sell the model kits, and it took about 20 <laughs> years before we could have the first Gundam without fight scenes every episode, which was Gundam... Turn A Gundam, yes, Turn A Gundam. Okay, so uh, having sort of discussed the show, come is time to decide. Denny, 
How many head decapitations out of five do you give it? Mm, so I think I'll give this show a four because I actually really enjoyed myself. Well, as I've said, the editing was a bit confusing and the actual story didn't quite grab me. Everything else surrounding it, just the, the puppetry, the, the set design, the costume design, the lighting, the effects, that's enough for me to carry this show for a lot of time. Like, I, I'll probably watch the rest of this show even if I don't uh, come to care about the plot at all, just because it's such a rare work of high-quality puppetry puppetry that i have not really explored as a medium at all like i've i've watched a, sh a lot of animated stuff very little puppetry how about you ian how many self-decapitations will you give it I, I can't i can't bring up to four because for me plot is set sort of too important to just throw away just to casually disregard the plot. that's fair that's fair um and this isn't really a problem with the show so much as the genre. I, this is definitely a thing I've noticed in other uh, Wuxia shows, which is why I don't watch them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is that, yeah, we've got this sort of MacGuffin and all our fights involve tons of exposition and they're cool, but I'm fast forwarding from one fight scene to the other. <laughs> uh, and in this show... I get, we probably don't want to be doing that because the fight scenes are just fine. Uh, I guess what I really want to do is we want to zoom ahead to the parts where Shobu is uh, just getting uh, <laughs> is just getting the shit ripped out of him uh, by Rin Setsure. That That's what we need to. That's what we need in the highlight reel. <laughs> I think I can stretch to a three point five. I can't go to four. That's fair. How about you, Freya? Then I will also give it a four. If it was the whole thing, it would probably be a four and a half. Uh, people like to, when I say people, there's only two people who say this, um, like to say that I don't like things that are fun. <laughs> and when I say people, I mean me. Wait, no, you mean me. And me. <laughs> I guess that means I'm the one who doesn't say that? Yes. Um, but I think the combination of the, the puppetry in this with the, like, um... I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure how I felt about it when I first watched, but the relationship between uh, Rin Setsu and Shofu Ken, I know in hindsight, is really fun. Um, and I do like the dynamic that, uh, later on of a, uh, D a basically a D&D &D party where everybody hates each other. Um, <laughs> it's very entertaining. And the, like, the, the like, way it plays around with Wuxia tropes later on is a lot of fun. But ignoring all that, the puppetry and the, the puppetry just really makes it. I love puppets, and I particularly love these puppets. They are good puppets. Yes. Very good puppets, indeed. Yeah, so with this sort of, like, taken all together, I guess this makes it the second best show we've watched. <laughs> Which, considering it's not an anime on an anime podcast... <laughs> is interesting that's probably uh, why it's so highly rated because we're just too used to anime so everything anything that's new really stands out to us rose of the was good yeah rose of the was good boogie pop phantom was good i liked to all the terror we, we we did enjoy boogie pop phantom but this was before the current rating system yes so denny do you have any final pieces of trivia for us uh i do this time well I've already, I think I've already mentioned that uh, there's multiple of each puppets were made. 
Like uh, over 40 puppets were apparently made for the 13 main characters. But the mo- thing I personally found more interesting is that there were three to ten stunt double puppets to do action scenes and other stuff. And if they survived, they would yet to be sold to uh, fans. So if they survived their action scenes and were whole enough, they would get to be sold. This reminds me of how when Spitting Image ended, they like auctioned off all the puppets because the, uh, the creator of it wanted to melt them all. So they <laughs> sold them instead. All right, well, my piece of trivia. Uh, you two are familiar with uh, Takarazuka Review, right? Uh, um, I most certainly am. Takarazuka sounds familiar. It's a... Uh, I mean, I'll let Ian explain it. So uh, they're a all-female uh, sort of theatrical, uh, like, cabaret uh, theater troupe uh, based in uh, Takarazuka. And it's all women, and they put on these wonderful, lavish musical numbers. Okay, yes. now I am, I am not familiar with this. Uh, and we brought it up when we talked about Rosa Versailles, because mm. they have done it multiple times. They have done a production of the first season of Thunderbolt Fantasy. <laughs> nice. And I wish it was available in full somewhere, but it's not. And on that note, what will we be watching next week, Ian? So... For next week, I have decided that we are going to be watching Parasite Dolls, an OVA from back in day. We'll finally be uh, judging something based on the entire, uh, the entirety of it, and not just the first third. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a it's a three episode uh, OVA uh, series from two thousand and three. So we'll get to watch the entire. <laughs> nice. All right, how do we end this podcast? You say good night as you good usually night! fucking do. Good night, everybody.